Siri, is Santa real? Be careful. You don't want to end up on the naughty list. <laughs> That's great. Wow, Doug. I don't want to be on the naughty list. And welcome to this special over-the-holidays State of the Yankees and Nets edition of the Yes Men. I, as always, Merry Christmas, everybody. Yes, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to those of you listening after January 1st. Uh, I am Lou DiPietro, as always. Doug Williams to my left, as always. We are the Yes Men. And, uh, you know, we're going to be, quote-unquote, off from the regular podcast over the holidays. So we decided to do a little bit of a State of the, state of the Yes Teams commentary, uh, podcast, breakdown, whatever you want to call it here, to, to tide you over for your Yes Men fix until we come back in early January. And uh, the first thing I can say in, in, in terms of that is the Yankees have already made quite a splash, and winter just started this weekend. So there's still a lot of hot stove to go. Uh, not necessarily a lot of great free agents left out there. Great meaning, you know, the, the marquee, big name, impact top 10 everybody loves a big contract free agent because the Yankees have a few of them already uh Brian McCann to start and then Ellsbury and then Carlos Beltran re-signed Hiroki Kuroda who was a big uh a big fish out there in a very weak starting rotation market especially with Masahiro Tanaka possibly not getting posted now by uh his team in Japan so it's already been a big winter, and there's still plenty of time to go, Doug. And we still don't know for sure whether or not Tanaka is going to be posted. I think there's still a decent chance that he will be. Uh, the, the news coming out of Japan, ha- we have not heard anything official uh, in terms of whether or not he'll be posted. And to be honest with you, you know, they really need one more pitcher. I, I think that that is the key. Now, I don't know if it's going to end up being someone proven or more of a risk, like a Johan Santana or something like that, but... They need one more arm because they're just a little bit short in that department. Now, people are saying that their pitching is going to be terrible. But, you know, there are a lot of wild cards on this Yankee team. It's it's probably the team that in baseball would have the most what-ifs. And, yep. you know, what's funny is last year I would have said that about the Red Sox, you know, mm-hmm. because it's the kind of team where if everything goes right and everybody stays healthy, they could be a very potent team and, and a potentially dangerous team when it comes to September and October, and that's what the Red Sox were. Now, the Yankees need, I think, their X factor, and I've been saying this all along, is Michael Pineda. Absolutely. If he stays healthy and looks like the guy he was in Seattle, I think you're looking at a two or a three starter. And remember, CC Sabathia, we don't really know what we're going to get out of him. Is he a you know 12-12 and 12 with a 4-5 or five ERA guy now, or can he win 16-17 games for them next season? Uh, Hiroki Kuroda has been very consistent. So, yes, I think that they need more work in the starting rotation, but at the same time, if they get one more guy, I think that they will be good. And and it's been a very successful offseason, I think, personally. It seems like a starting pitcher might be, you know, the number one priority with maybe the bullpen right there, too. But, you know, we forget that Pineda, a couple of years ago, was an all-star pitcher in Seattle in his rookie year. I mean, he tailed off quite a bit in the second half, whether that was fatigue, whether maybe there was the beginning of some shoulder issues going on there. Nobody's really 100% certain what happened to him. Uh, so the rookie wall, I guess, is kind of the the term it's given. But he was an all-star pitcher that year. So if you have a guy that's even, even if he's 80% of that, he's your number four starter. I mean, that's, 
that's much better than a lot of teams' number two starters, to be honest. Right. It's key. And remember, you know, David Phelps can be a very effective starting pitcher. I think he's more effective than Phil Hughes. So how can you consider <clears throat> right. that a loss? You know, Hughes is gone, and I don't think Yankee fans are crying about that. Phil Hughes is a good four-starter, I think. And, and if he's your five, great. But you've got CC and you've got Kuroda. No matter who you're going to get out of CC Sabathia, he's going to give you innings. So you've got CC, you've got Kuroda, you've got Phelps. You know, the question marks kind of start there. Right. It's it's sort of Nova. I, I obviously is is has been great. He's been terrible. I I think you're going to get innings out of him. Right. It's not quite you know the old uh, rotation back in the day of spawn and sane and pray for rain, but it's definitely. There's definitely going to be, let's say, a drop-off in terms of name quality from two to three and beyond mm-hmm. uh, just based on the fact that you've got you know, a multi-time all-star ace pitcher in Sabathia, a very consistent top-of-the-rotation guy in Kuroda, and then a lot of question marks. Whether they're good, whether they're bad, whether they're average remains to be seen. We only know what we've seen out of them so far. And Nova has been all three in the span of the last couple of years. But it's, it's kind of a crapshoot. But the thing about it is... Everyone's now saying, okay, the Yankees need a pitcher, the Yankees need a pitcher, the Yankees need this, the Yankees need this. They got upgrades in offense, blah, blah, blah. I have here in front of me, just based on guys who are under contract, a potential look at the Yankees' 25-man roster. If you sub in Pineda for Andy Pettit and you just plug in somebody for Mariano Rivera, which you can't just plug in somebody for Mariano Rivera, but just numbers-wise – this could be the same pitching staff as last year, which won 85 games. Even with an offense that at times was missing three, four, five, and sometimes six key players. Sabathia Corota Nova is your one, two, three, right? Pineda comes in as your number four. He's a wild card. He replaces Pettit in that, you know, he's hopefully the same caliber pitcher if he's back to his all star form, with David Phelps as your five, who has been kind of that swingman, fifth starter in the rotation, out of the rotation, bullpen kind of guy. So now this would be his time. That's that's not a terrible starting rotation, and it's five guys that have been key members of a starting rotation at various times over the last three years. Yeah, I, I think that their starting rotation has a chance to be better than people think. And, Lou, on my lunch break last week, I was doing a little stat kind mm-hmm. of research, yep. and um, – I looked up the average offensive line, just average home runs and RBIs, of the guys that are going and the guys that are coming in. So uh, Chris Stewart, Curtis Granderson, Robinson Cano, and then Ichiro and Vernon Wells. Now Ichiro and Vernon Wells are still with the team, but they won't be starting. So that's five guys. Their average of uh, last season was a two forty nine, eleven home runs, and 46 RBIs. So not great, but it's an average. So obviously you're not going to have... So is that pretty much just their five home run totals divided by five? Or how did, how, I'm just yeah, curious exactly. how you came up with that. It was the okay. mean of all of them. <clears throat> the right. average was the mean as well, and, so, and their RBI was adding up all their RBIs and dividing it by five. Okay. So then you get the four guys that they brought in, Brian McCann, Jacoby Ellsbury, Carlos Beltran, and Kelly Johnson. 271, 17 home runs, 61 RBIs. So that's better in the average department significantly. Better in the home run department significantly and RBIs as well. And three of those guys in the five you mentioned that are are leaving are not even remote. I mean, Vernon Wells hit 10 home runs in the first five weeks and then hit one the rest of the year. Ichiro's never been a home run hitter. Stort, I mean, does Stort have 11 career home runs? It's probably pretty close. 
Granderson, okay, yeah, he had a bad year because of the injuries, but he's he's a, he's a big bopper, and Cano obviously is good for thirty, right? You know, give or take in Yankee Stadium. But McCann's good for thirty plus in Yankee Stadium. Ellsbury hit thirty two years ago in Boston, so he could do it again. Beltran hits thirty ish consistently, and Johnson, the last couple it's years, good I for think like is 16, yeah, 17 16 home runs a year, and he had twenty five, I think, a couple years ago. So that's a that's a big a big upgrade in the power department right. at least. And everybody's saying, you know. I can't believe they lost Cano. You know, Cano's the best hitter. And it's true. He was the best hitter on this team. But not only is he semi-replaceable with Carlos Beltran, (laughs) similar numbers, not as good, but semi-replaceable. The thing about Cano is, what was his biggest hit in pinstripes, Lou? You're asking me this off the top of my head? Yes. What was his biggest hit in pinstripes? It's I'm hard sure, to think. I mean, of, I'm right? sure he had. Uh, I'm sure he had a couple of good ones in the in the playoffs in 2009, and I'm sure there were a few, you know, walk offs or close to walk offs or go ahead hits. But there's there. I don't know if there was a signature moment, and if there was, at least in the last three years since I've been here, I, I can't think of it off the top of my head. And, and what honest. about Granderson? Granderson did hit that. I think he did hit the grand slam that gave them the record in one game. And that game against Oakland, right, won like right. 21 eight. I, I think he might have hit the last grand slam. Does that count? Maybe I, it's not a huge home run at all, just besides the stats. But that's the kind of my point. I think the Yankees looked at those two guys as very productive hitters, right? But not worth the kind of money that a guy like Carlos Beltran is worth in terms of Granderson. I'm talking about as a guy that has huge postseason hits and a pedigree, and has been to the World Series and and and, and just excelled in the playoffs. And then Jacoby Ellsbury's won two World Series. He's got a you know 290 career postseason average. Granderson and Cano aren't, you know, typical Yankees in terms of the fact that you always have that classic Yankee moment and they never had it. Now, continuing with kind of what I was doing, and this is the last little stat I'll give you. So there's five of the guys leaving and four coming in, right? So there's one extra guy. Last year's guys, five of them, totaled 56 home runs and 232 RBIs. The guys they've acquired, only four. So you're subtracting a guy, still had 13 more home runs, and let's see, fourteen more RBIs. Right, and let's say Curtis Granderson plays a full season. It's probably around even. It's probably around even, yeah, because you're going to add another fifteen home runs for fifteen to maybe twenty for Granderson. So we'll say that's seventy-one to seventy-six, and then even fifty RBIs is two eighty-two. And and but all Wells, of that Wells and Ichiro also wouldn't have played as much as they did if Granderson was healthy all year. And all of that is not taking into account how different these numbers will be now that these new guys are hitting in Yankee Stadium. I right. mean, there's some serious. There's a serious difference. Look at the career of Curtis Granderson. Three of them are lefties. He was he was a triples hitter until he got to the Yankees and he turned into a totally different guy. Yep. Well, he hit the ball hard. It was just Comerica Park is, I think, the second largest park in America behind Yellowstone. Right. So he's it's, always uh, hit the ball. Pretty close. He's always hit the ball hard. <clears throat> um, and I, you know, again, I don't think the Yankees are thrilled to have you know Granderson and Cano gone. I don't. No, it's not like they're dancing in the streets, right. obviously. But I think the Yankees feel good about the fact that for once they were able to stand up for themselves and say, "No, we won't pay you that. You can't. No matter what, our fans and the Yankee fans. I'm really proud of you guys because." I read on Twitter and I saw polls about the fact that nobody really wanted to pay Cano $300 million. No Yankee fans were greedy saying, yeah, he's our best player. Spend the money. I don't care. We got all the money in the world. Guys looked at that contract and what he was demanding from Jay- with Jay-Z and said, that's ridiculous. You, you know, the thing about that is, is you look at the contract Derek Jeter got in 2001, the 10-year, $189 million contract. And I remember back then even – 
people saying, well, that's a lot of money, but it's Derek Jeter. Right. Because but it's Derek Jeter was a very good enough modifier even five years into his career that he was Derek Jeter. He was you know, he wasn't the captain yet, but he was on his way to being the captain of the Yankees, postseason hero, multi-time ring winner, rookie of the year, ETC, the list goes on and on and on. And he got that contract for a shortstop, no less, not even a premium offensive position, quote-unquote, a shortstop. But people were like, but it's Derek Jeter. Flash forward over a decade later, with inflation, you're looking at a 30-year-old Robinson Cano, and you're right. Nobody was saying he's worth that much money. There's no highlight of him There's hitting no... a walk-off home run in October and, yeah. and, and diving into the stands. That doesn't exist for him. So Yankee fans don't have that love for the player. And, right. and we were willing to pay Jeter the world because we loved him. Right. And you look at, I mean, not to bash Robinson Cano or turn this into a, you know, we're glad Cano's gone session because obviously he's a big offensive cop. And I'm going to miss watching him hit because yeah. he's incredibly he's, talented. He's, he's an incredibly talented baseball player. The guys that got those kind of huge contracts, and I'm not going to count pitchers because pitchers are a completely different animal. But you look at Albert Pujols got that huge contract from the Angels. He was a consistent, three, you know, 320, 30 to 40 plus home run, 100 plus RBI guy. Plays every day. Plays a premium offensive position. Had a lot of big hits for the Cardinals in the postseason. Won a World Series. Yada yada yada. Okay, a lot of money, but you know what? He was worth it. People thought. Alex Rodriguez, when he got both of his huge contracts, the the first one from you know way back in the day, and then the second one when he opted out when when he was at the Yankees, Alex Rodriguez, multi-time MVP, fifty home run hitter, this that didn't have the postseason rep until two thousand nine, but still, again, this was a guy that you look at and say, okay, he's going to get a mammoth contract. Robinson Cano is what a three hundred hitter, averages twenty five to thirty home runs, hundred RBIs. There are a lot of guys in baseball these days that are close, if not more, in a, in like any of those three categories or all of them. So you kind of wonder, like, is he's not really worth two hundred and forty million dollars? I don't think anyone outside of the Mariners, obviously. But if that's the kind of player that's worth two hundred and forty million dollars over ten years, baseball is about to get very, very expensive. And it already is expensive. But Mike Trout's going to make $500 million. Yeah, well, yeah. And you know what? Mike Trout will deserve it after the two seasons he's had. If he has five more seasons close to that, you know, he's going to he's gonna cash in when he's 26. Yeah. Same thing with Bryce Harper. I mean, he's going to get a, a huge contract, but he's been, you know, the way he's been since he was 20 and came up. Just Cano saying, also, been, I think Mike Trout wants to be a Yankee. Right. Just saying. Cano has, been, Jersey. Cano has been a great offensive player, but if a... Roughly 325-100 guy is worth $24 million a year for that long term. Baseball's about to get real, 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 real expensive. Yeah, you, uh, he's a very talented hitter. And so when you watch him hit, you know how good he is. Uh, you know, Forget who you exactly <clears throat> want to compare him to. A lot of people see Ken Griffey Jr. when he was younger. People you know, have compared him to some of the best hitters of all time. But you know, he is very, very good. Uh, you know, Borderline great. But his numbers, he does, he's not stellar in any specific department. He's very consistent. Right. And very I, think consistent. That, I think that's what it is because you also, the other side of that coin, and again, I, I don't want to turn this into a Bash Cano session, so I got to play the other side of the coin. You get what the market dictates. Now, is Irvin Santana going to be worth $100 million? Most inclinations would be no, right? I mean, he's a good pitcher, pretty good pitcher, very good pitcher. Incredibly inconsistent. Not elite. Per se, that, that word elite, that adjective. But 
if he's the best of the bunch, if Tanaka doesn't get posted, then he gets – it almost seems like it's kind of one of those systems where somebody's going to get it, so it's going to be the best guy available. It doesn't necessarily mean anybody deserves it. It's just that he's going to be the one that gets it because he's the best available. Jacoby Ellsbury, a lot of people were surprised that the Yankees went, you know, seven years, 153 million, 169 perhaps, you know, depending on the option. Is he worth that after, you know, he's a he's a speed and defense guy, had that one big offensive season. Is he worth that? A lot of people may have felt yes. A lot of people may have felt no. Either way, he got it. Shinsu Chu apparently got $140 million from the Rangers. Same thing. High OBP guy, very consistent across the board. Does a lot of the same things Robinson Cano does, quite honestly, offensively. Plus, he's an outfielder. Plus, he's got a much higher OBP than Cano. Got $100 million less. Right, and... Uh, back to Chu, actually, to change the subject a little bit. The Yankees apparently uh, mm-hmm. had Chu in agreement with a deal for what? It was seven years, hundred and forty million. One hundred and forty-three, I think. Yeah, and they wanted Ellsbury money. Is that the story you're going? No, for? no, no. I think it was one hundred and forty, and he wanted Carl Crawford. One forty-three. So, so he wanted one forty-three. He had a three million more, mm-hmm. and he got one hundred and thirty. From the Rangers? Right. The final number. So if anybody doesn't know the story, the Yankees were in agreement with Chu, seven years, $140 million, and Chu is a better player than Carlos Beltran at this point in his career. But, you know, there are some pluses and minuses to him. He's a lefty, doesn't hit lefties well, don't, don't know if he would handle New York very well, etc. But anyway, Yankees are in agreement with him. Scott Boris, because he is Scott Boris, says, I want $3 million more million so that he has more money than Carl Crawford. And it really annoyed the Yankees, and they pulled the offer. Yep, that's the story. And so I think earlier last week when Chu, or it was I guess it was on Friday, when Chu signed with the Rangers, or Saturday? It was, I think it was Saturday. Saturday, Announced yeah. Saturday after When Chu morning. signed with the Rangers for $130 million, I think a lot of us were at first like, whoa, like this makes the Yankees look great, and Scott Boris looked bad. He lost $10 million that he could have had easily. But, I mean, there is no income tax, right? Or there's, what no, is it? There's, there's no state income tax in Texas, but if your state income tax is $10 million on 130 I mean, that's, that's a very high income tax. Right. I just think, basically, I ended up, my thought process was the Yankees made the right decision. Uh, they have a less... Even though Carlos Beltran's 37 and they gave him a three-year deal, it's less of a commitment than a seven-year deal to right. Chew. And Carlos Beltran is a switch hitter. And when he said that he reminded, you know, he didn't remind, he reminded me of Bernie Williams, but he said that he used to admire Bernie Williams when he was younger. And that makes total sense. They're very similar players, the speed and power combination, and they switch hit. And when Yankees, when the Yankees are at their best in the past and throughout the dynasty that they had in the 90s, um, they were really strong in the middle of their lineup with switch hitters. And Beltran can hit lefties and righties equally well. He's a good clubhouse guy. He's clearly psyched to be here. And, you know, say what you will about a three-year deal to a 37-year-old guy, but it's better than a seven-year deal in in, in basically any other, in any way. And you already gave one to Ellsbury. The Yankees would be getting a lot of flack for two seven-year deals to their outfielders. Right, and you've got now, like you said, with that lineup, they've got Beltran and, and Tex. To be that Soriano's their power righty, I guess McCann their power lefty, Ellsbury's got some power. You know, Johnson's got some power from the left side. So it's a very the oh, lineup it's a is it's lineup. very reminiscent of those early those early night or I should say late nineties early two thousands teams. Um, There's everything everything in a lineup that you want. 
the 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 point I was going to make that also I think we you mentioned the commitment to Chu and if if he was here on a seven year deal, that puts him and Ellsbury on the team through like 2020, 2021, depending on options. What happens to the rest of the farm system? Carlos Beltran on a three year deal means he's got 14, 15, 16, he's out. Okay, you have in in Trenton last year alone, Slade Heathcott, Ramon Flores, Mason Williams, Tyler Austin. All four of them played it in Trenton at some point last year. Those guys are, I think, four of four of the five top position player prospects in the system, with Gary Sanchez being the other one, obviously. So what happens to their trade value now if you have two guys on seven-year deals manning center and right, per se, and then left field is really your only open spot? You know nothing's going to happen this year because – even if they trade Gardner, they have Soriano, so that's, you know, they have Ichiro, they have various other guys. Now that you have four or five guys for one spot versus four to five guys for two or maybe three, depending on the DH, lowers the trade value a little bit, don't you think? Because now it's like, well, these guys have a surplus, so we don't necessarily have to give them something better than we would have to get one of these outfielders from them, right? kind of stands to reason yeah i think the yankees look at those outfielders they're hoping for a dramatic improvement so that they can fill left field one of them right when brett gardner leaves right and so I, this is a big year for them to develop and i agree with you right. if they had given two mm-hmm. seven-year deals it would have been like well maybe they don't think so highly of these guys let's offer them nothing and see if yeah. they'll trade them away and something like that beltran deal says okay mason williams struggled a bit last year in tampa and he didn't really hit at all in trenton Okay, he's he's the top, he's the golden boy, the number number one position player prospect other than Sanchez, depending on the list you look at. So even if he starts this year in Trenton, right, and he spends a year in Trenton, then he spends a year in AAA, that's 2016 before he's here. Beltran's in the last year of his deal, could be a full-time DH by that point, could be a part-time outfielder. You bring up, you know, Williams, does he play center field? Does he move Jacoby Ellsbury to left field? Where's Slade Heathcott in that mix? Where's Tyler Austin? There's a whole slew of you know possibilities with those prospects now that's a little more open because they don't have that extra four years of chew on the books with the catchers you know everybody said the same thing with sanchez and the catchers on down the line mccann five-year deal they're blocked blah 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 not necessarily because in three years when Teixeira's contract is up mccann could move to first base one of them could be ready it's still the same you still got a couple guys that are going to be trade bait uh eventually down the line because you don't need five catchers but there's the possibility there that, you know, McCann could move or something could happen. Same thing now with Beltran instead of Chu. It's it's much less of a commitment, and it, it makes the farm system's value just a little bit better. Yeah, and remember, I mean, we have to be honest with ourselves here. Uh, it's all fun, and, and, and it's proper to imagine the guys in your minor leagues being in the major leagues in a few years. <laughs> but if you look around the Yankees' lineup right now, yeah. How many guys are actually, you know, homegrown? You have Brett Gardner and Derek Jeter. Yeah, you have two. So three, if you know, three, if Eduardo Nunez is. In I there. think it's very possible that none of those outfielders you mentioned will ever see time with the Yankees, or you know, we'll see. It's the possible, thing is, or they could, you know, three of them could get packaged for, you know, I'm just going to throw a name out here. Obviously, it probably wouldn't happen, but three of them could get packaged for a guy like, say, Clayton Kershaw or David Price, right? Something like that. And, and again. What the, your point is well taken because you're not saying what's you know this is going to slow the development of these players necessarily. You're saying that their trade value goes down, right. and that's kind of the way the Yankees think. If we're being honest, now right, let's talk about the bullpen a little bit, Lou. Right. So so here I have I have this 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 roster printed out. So you figure 
depending on whatever happens with A-Rod, he's going to be on the – him or somebody to replace him is going to be on the roster depending on what his situation is. So if you just look in general, you've got Teixeira, Brian Roberts, who we haven't mentioned yet, Jeter, and Kelly Johnson is your infield. Ellsbury, Beltran, Soriano, Gardner, the outfield and DH, and McCann's your catcher. You're going to have a backup catcher, which is probably going to be either Cervelli, Romine, or possibly Murphy, depending on how their springs go. Brendan Ryan's going to be on the team because he's their insurance shortstop, two-year major league deal, blah, blah, blah. You figure they're going to have a fifth outfielder, which is probably going to be Ichiro. Could be Vernon Wells if they can find somebody to take Ichiro. Could be Zoilo Almonte if they find somebody to take both. Leaving one spot open for A-Rod or you know, maybe a Mark Reynolds type or something to replace A-Rod, which kind of moves Eduardo Nunez to AAA. He does have a, a minor league option left, which is huge, and something I think a lot of people are overlooking. They're like, why are they signing this guy? Why are they signing this guy? What's going to happen to that? He could also be that Mark Reynolds type guy that plays third base every once in a while. It depends on what happens. So the team is set. Okay, that that's good. They don't necessarily need to add anything there except for maybe if, you know, if A-Rod misses the whole year, maybe they'll go out and get somebody with a little more power. The bench is good. The rotation is good. The bullpen, I alluded to it earlier, but it's pretty much if you find someone to, at least in spot-wise, replace Mariano Rivera, could be very much the same bullpen with guys having different roles. Okay, You have David Robertson, who looks like he's going to be the closer at this point. If you had to take a stab and say somebody's the closer, he looks like he's going to be the guy. Sean Kelly, who had a very good year last year, looks like he's going to be the guy to take over the eighth inning role that was David Robertson's. Preston Claiborne was there last year at various points. Adam Warren, if he's the long guy again, was there all year in the bullpen. Batances got a look at the end of the year. Matt Thornton replaces Boone Logan as your, your power lefty, so to speak. It's the same bullpen. Pretty much the same bullpen. I mean, that's Thornton, swap in Thornton for Logan, and that's... You know, five sevens minimum of the same bullpen it's, last year. It's the same bullpen, but it's it's lacking one arm in the depth department. So when Mo was here, you had Robertson setting up, and Kelly is the <clears> seventh <throat> inning guy. Right. Right and now, Java. you don't really have a seventh inning guy. And I think what I've been saying all along, and I thought they were going to sign Benoit maybe, <laughs> and he's now gone to San Diego. They need an arm for insurance. They need a guy right. who can close when Robertson's thrown three games in a row who can throw in the eighth inning when Sean Kelly's unavailable. I mean, to rely that much on one guy in the eighth inning, and Sean Kelly's never really done that before, and to rely that much on the arm of David Robertson, who's never closed before, without anybody who could come in and and step in just in case, I don't think that's very smart. Now, they could go <laughs> sign, and, sign K-Rod, or they could sign Fernando Rodney. Balfour is also available. Balfour again. they apparently have a little bit of interest in now that he's, uh, I guess, not a uh, Baltimore Oriole. Right. One of those guys would make a lot of sense, and I think Brian Cashman looks at, at, at his options right now, and I think there are three possible signings left. I think probably two will happen. I think he looks at a potential Mark Reynolds guy to play third base, play first base, pinch hit, a little bit of pop. Yep, a righty version of platoon with Kelly Johnson, right, for lack of exactly. a better way to put it. A lane-inning uh, insurance guy, so a Benoit type, but he's gone. Uh, like the guys I just mentioned, John Axford, before he signed, would have been a decent option. Yep. Then, you know, the third thing is a starting pitcher. Now, do they have the money to make all three of those happen? I don't know. But I honestly think those are the three things left. And it may, it really re- makes you realize how many holes the Yankees have already filled. I mean, right. there were like seven things that I thought the Yankees needed to do originally. 
and most of them are done. But I and I, I they could go without a Mark Reynolds, right? Because really, they have Eduardo Nunez, right? They could, so that that might get scrapped away. I really think though, late inning righty and a starting pitcher, and we're right. good. They could live. You think two of the three will happen. I, I'm kind of in agreement with you, but they could live without two of the three because if they can get enough offense out of Roberts, Nunez, Johnson to avoid a Reynolds type, you know, that's filled. And if Pineda comes in and dominates in the spring, they can say, all right, he's our four and Phelps is our five and we've got, you know, we've got Adam Warren if we need him. We've got guys like Nick Turley or Brett Marshall if he clears waivers can come up and kind of be those spot guys. The other thing, too, is that the Yankees do have I don't know, I don't know what the right word is for it. But they have a lot of interesting options in in the minors or on minor league deals in terms of that bullpen. You know, Mark Montgomery was kind of rocketing through the system before he got hurt at AAA last year. So if he comes in and he looks like amazing in spring training, you never know if he comes in and says, you know what, he's this year's Preston Claiborne, where it's like, let's give him a shot, let's put him in some high leverage situations, seventh inning maybe, see what he can do. They have David Herndon and Jim Miller, both of whom were with the team last year. Miller pitched pretty well at AAA. Herndon, uh, you know, missed a lot of the season recovering from injury, but they're veteran major league middle relief guys who could kind of, you know, if, say, Batances comes in and just can't hack it, or if Sean Kelly, you know, starts to falter and needs to be moved out of a role, can can kind of do that. And and one of the signings I think might be even more just kind of under the radar clutch, for lack of a better word, is Brian Gordon, who, you know, a lot of people may remember as coming up, making a couple of spot starts in 2011 and, and then going away. He was the closer for the A's, uh, the A's AAA team in Sacramento last year. So he doesn't necessarily have major league closing experience, but he knows how to pitch the ninth inning. It's a complete different set of hitters. I understand that, and I grant you that. But he has that kind of mindset, at least, where he's done it. So he could come in and maybe be a seventh inning guy. Or, you know, if he, if something happens and somebody falters, nobody gets signed, maybe he gets a shot at it. It's not going to be easy whether it's the second best closer of all time or – a rookie that takes over that role, you're replacing Mariano Rivera, it's going to be a miserable job all year long. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not even factoring the fact that Mariano Rivera is being replaced in this conversation. I'm just saying they need consistency out of that role. I mean, Rafael Soriano came in and did potentially just as good of a job as Mo would have yeah. done. So I try not to be dramatic about it because, look, you have to get three outs in the ninth inning. I don't care who you're replacing. If you can do it, you can do it. There's not – I mean, fans aren't going to boo you because you're not Mo. They're right. going to embrace whoever the new guy is. I, I just think, you know, all of those arms in the minor leagues, they're great. But, I you know, the Yankees have always had a bullpen that you knew kind of on paper what it was going to be. We've yep. seen the kind of stuff that Batances has. He throws hard. You know, there are some possibilities there. I agree with you. Um Overall, though, I do think that, uh, you know, our colleague Matt Stucco was asking me the other day if I thought this was a over or under 90 win team. And I said, I, I think it's at or above. I think it'll be 90 to 92 win team. Yep, I agreed um, with you on that one, too. It's so hard to predict baseball. We know that. Um, it's almost pointless to. I, I don't think there's any point where I'll feel totally confident in giving you a win number. But I do think that this team has improved, and I was proud of them for not giving Robinson Cano $240 million. I think that was a smart move. And I think that in some ways they've gotten a lot better. I think their lineup will be so much more fun to watch. It's a lot more dynamic. 
it's more dynamic than it's been in years. And, uh, you know, their starting rotation, we'll see. I'm also kind of excited to see guys like Michael Pineda try and make it. And, yeah. and I'm excited to see the redemption of CC Sabathia. I think there's a lot of exciting things going into the season being a New York Yankee fan. That's all I'm going to say. Yep, and there's going to be a lot of opportunity for guys, too. I mean, there's also guys in the minors like, you know, Manny Banuelos. Does he come back? His arm's not 100%. Does he become maybe a power lefty instead of a top-flight starter? Does a guy like Jose Ramirez, who... Big fastball, great changeup. Secondary pitches are a little underdeveloped is the word I'll use. You know, he was shut down a little bit early in the year last year because of fatigue. They were worried about him. Does he maybe wow people in spring training and they say, you know what, this might be a guy we want in our middle relief core. He's got two good pitches. You really only need two good pitches to be an effective reliever. Look at David Robertson. He's got two pitches, but they're both phenomenal. And, you know, he's what he is. Does he get an opportunity? Does Vidal Nuno maybe come in as a swingman, lefty possibilities? There's a lot of possibilities. Whether or not the Yankees sign anyone or sign everyone, it's going to be a very interesting spring training. Not a lot. We don't really expect a lot to happen over the next couple weeks until early January. But uh, it's going to be a very interesting remainder of the offseason, a very interesting spring training for sure. Um, with that said, we, we do want to switch gears and just go over to the Nets a little bit. Um, Given that we're taping this on Monday the 23rd and you're going to be listening to this for a couple weeks, it's kind of tough to really talk too much about the state of the Nets or certain play because as it stands, they're 9-17. and They have, I think, 10 games between now and January 10th when they play Miami again at home. So it's there's going to be a lot of fluid parts and a lot of things going on. One thing we do know is that Brooke Lopez isn't going to be a part of it. He, he was injured last week, uh, broken foot, looks like he's out for the season. That's a huge blow. As much as Doug and I have talked both on the podcast and, and in general in the office about how much Darren Williams is really a key player because that's the position the Nets are the thinnest at beyond the starter, this is huge in a number of ways. Somebody's got to shift to take his spot. Somebody's got to move up the depth chart. You look at a guy like Mason Plumley, who Billy King said was probably going to spend a lot of time in the D-League this year, and now he might not spend any because he's needed. You know, December 15th is coming and gone, so players signed this year can now be traded. Moves can be made. But you have to wonder if the Nets are going to stay in-house or if, if Billy King is going to have to go out and do something to try to right the ship and replace Brooke Lopez. Here's the thing, um, Lou. I think one of the biggest reasons that this is such a huge blow is because he's not only a big man. I mean, let's be honest. He's a really not – he's an under, under uh, I don't know, under seven rebound average guy. Right. So he's not a great center in that in that regard. He's not Shaq or Dwight Howard right. in that regard, right? He is though their at times best offensive scorer. So in that way, yes, they're very much going to miss him. Now, I think they could put in Blatch and Reggie Evans at the same time and defensively and in terms of rebounds play just as well. Right. But they're going to miss 18 to 20 points a game from their big man. I mean, that's huge. We've seen what Roy Hibbert has done to the Miami Heat. I always thought that the Brooklyn Nets were also a tough matchup with the Heat because of Brooke Lopez. It's not the same now with him gone. With that said, Andre Blatch, you know, has been in and out of the games because of Kevin Garnett. And, you know, if you think about it, Lou, this is a team that's very deep in that regard, in the power right. forward and center position. Mm-hmm. Mason Plumlee's actually played very well. Andre Blatch has shown that he can score. Kevin Garnett is a shadow of the player he once was, but he's Kevin Garnett. 
And, uh, you know, we've seen Evans play very minimal minutes. He's obviously going to be playing more. Right. And Toledovich, too, at the four might get some minutes right. because they just need the body. I don't think this is the end of the year by any means. I do think they'll miss his points. But remember, you know, Brooke Lopez, when you watch him play, I'm sorry, but there are questions about his toughness in terms of rebounding. And, you know, maybe they'll change kind of their M.O. now. You know, they'll be right. a, you know, guys waiting behind the three-point line and then tough guys rebounding. Right. That's kind of who they'll be, kind of a little bit like the Knicks. Reggie Evans doing the dirty work, which, I mean, Reggie Evans has been a DNP a lot or played sparing minutes a lot just because he doesn't seem to maybe fit in Jason Kidd's plans in his system right now. But that's going to that's gonna change, I mean, by default, really. But you mentioned Roy Hibbert. I mean, Indiana tonight, Monday night as we tape, is the first opponent. You know, they play them again next week in Indiana. They play Chicago, who's got a couple of pretty good, uh, couple of pretty good big guys. You may have heard of Milwaukee. You know, is an Eastern Conference bottom feeder. But then they go. You know, they have the same road trip around New Year's that they did last year at San Antonio at Oklahoma City. Tim Duncan, Kevin Durant, Abaca. I mean, that's you know some good players in there. And then they come back home for Cleveland, Atlanta, and Golden State versus you know those three, and then Miami on the tenth. Very interesting stretch of 10 games in terms of matchups. Very possible the Nets could be 12 and 24 by the time that comes around. I mean, also very possible they could be 19 and 17. Maybe something clicks. But it's now going to be interesting. I think maybe, you know, Kid's going to play with his lineups a little bit. But you almost wonder if Plumlee might just move into the starting rotation or the starting lineup, I should say, under the kind of guise of, Let's just plug and play as opposed to move everybody up the depth chart. Yeah, I, maybe, I, I maybe, like that idea. You maybe know. he's in there with KG. KG can do a little of the dirty work. Plumlee can gain a little confidence. And then you still have Blatch to be your big man scorer on the second unit because, you know, Reggie Evans at your four isn't going to really score much, but he's going to be the dirty work guy. Right. I, I like the idea of just plug and play mm-hmm. because it, I think it kind of keeps the team in their same Mindset, you know, it doesn't confuse anybody. They're just like, oh, the new Brook Lopez is Miles is Mason Plumley. That's just the way it is. So sometimes that works. I like to do that. I think it's smart. Uh, obviously, Mason. Uh, I keep mixing up the Plumleys because I'm a Duke fan. It's Mason. Yeah. Mason is the one on the Nets. Mason is not Brook Lopez, but it, you know, you keep the confusion out of this if, if you just kind of plug them in and see where it goes. And now the other question with that, too, is is now you, you flip to the other side of the coin. And, and this is kind of the last thing I'll, I'll, I'll bring up about this is now do you, st- you said you wonder about Brooke Lopez's toughness underneath. Do you start to wonder about Brooke Lopez's fragility physically? He missed all but five games in the lockout shortened season because he broke that same foot. He sprained it last year and missed, I think, seven or eight games in that one stretch because of that. Now, after 26 games, he's going to be out for the remainder of the year with that, another break in that foot. He was an all-star last year. He was their leading scorer. He showed flashes of being you know, a top-flight center. Do you wonder if now he becomes Todd McCullough with one good season, a guy who you know his feet are going to keep him from achieving greatness and kind of – you don't want to say end up being an albatross at the end of his contract, but that's a big contract for a guy who's missed the majority of two of the last three seasons. Yeah, you hope he's not a Greg Oden. Um, you know, a guy that just is slowly beat down. You know, we see this a lot with big men. I mean, Bynum comes to mind as well. Yep. They just can't stay healthy, and when they're not healthy, they're just kind of a liability. They're just there. And um, you hope that's not the case. I think Brooke Lopez is a really good guy, and obviously we've shown that he's a very, you know, he's a really good center when he's healthy. Like, very good. Like, you he know, was an all-star last year. An all-star. Year. Dwight Howard-esque. 
you know, in that conversation of one of the best centers in the NBA. Uh, we're just going to have to see what happens. Yep. And this uh, this morning, Monday morning, uh, our good friend Devin Carparity and at the uh, Brooklyn game, him and his team put up a uh, kind of a, a ranking. They asked a few of us, you know, Nets, uh, the Nets coverage team from Yes and Brooklyn game and various other spots to kind of rank five potential starting lineups based on, you know, how they replace Brooke Lopez, which is up now. So we encourage you to go read that. Um, kind of maybe give them your take, see what the see what the the experts quote unquote think. And uh, with that, I think it's time to wrap up the Yes Men for 2013. Uh, like I said, we will be back uh, January 8th. The Hall of Fame uh, voting is announced, and we'll be back with a new podcast uh, on that date to talk about that as well as anything that may have happened in baseball and basketball over the next couple weeks. But until then, as always, I am Lou DiPietro. Doug Williams is to my left. We wish you all a very Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Holiday season, and we'll see you in 2014. Enjoy your holiday, everybody.